Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's definitely not the the traditional or um, most mainstream pathway, but it definitely exists. So in social work, we talk about micro, meso, and macro practices. Micro is your typical case management therapy and all of that. Meso tends to be more groups, communities. And then macro has a focus on system level things. So organizations, policies, um, program development, administration, that kind of thing. And so that's really been my focus. It really depends on the person. When I'm doing tech trainings um, for agencies that serve older adults, we talk a lot about um, person-centered approach, uh, which is very social worky uh, for us to think of. But um, you know, even even more broadly, you might hear other people talk about digital intelligence. And uh, I like to break that up into um, digital interest and digital experience. And so you could have someone, I use my grandparents as my primary example. Uh, so my grandma was a florist, a stay-at-home mom for a while, and then a florist. And she just went in, arranged flowers. She didn't have to check customers out. She didn't have to do any of that. It was just her and the flowers. Um, and so when we got to um, her having her own cell phone, that was completely new smart technology for her. Her exposure, her experience was was not not much. Um, but she had interest in learning it. She wanted to know what her grandkids were up to. She wanted to know how to send pictures. She wanted to know all this stuff. And then on the other hand, we had my grandpa who was a business owner. Um, and so he had to do lots on the computer, um, all sorts of things, spreadsheets, you know, Word docs, all of it. And so he um, knew a lot more when he got his first cell phone, but he's not really interested in learning much more. He's kind of just like, grandma's going to communicate and I'm going to ride off her coattails. <laughs> So there's these two components that really make up each individual person's interest and use completely different regardless of age. Yeah, um, I found some cool add-ons for agencies if agencies are interested <clears throat> in making their sites, you know, more accessible to anyone, including an older adult. But some some common things that that older adults that I've worked with run into is when the font is too small. Um, that's a pretty big one, and there's some fixes that users can do for themselves. 
Um, another thing they run into is broken links or really complicated what we call user journeys. So I'm going to um, this company's website to try and find out which product is going to be the best for me. And when I get there, I don't actually know how to search for my product. There's no obvious search bar. There's when I click into the product category, suddenly there's like a whole bunch of things that I didn't know anything existed like that. And so a lot of times these places are, are just dumping information into their website and not being intentional with how they're structuring it. Um, and so that often gets really confusing for some of the users I've worked with. Oh, yeah. Yep. Pop-ups are another one. Um, another thing, I don't know if you've experienced this, but like when a website tries to be minimalistic and they just give you like a cup, you don't even, you don't know where to click for products. And it turns out there's this little hamburger button up like in the corner, sometimes in the middle, sometimes in the other corner. I've seen it before. We have to scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page where they tend to like actually have the site map. Um, and yeah, stuff like that. They're just not making it intuitive. Usually, they're usually like, oh, this makes it look cleaner. Maybe, I don't know if there's like a marketing thing to it. I wouldn't think so. I would think that would deter people from wanting to purchase your stuff. If they can't even find the product, what are the chances they're going to find the instructions for the product, right, if something goes wrong? I think another one is when you get on different devices, right? How you might interact with a website on the computer uh, is going to be different than when you're on a tablet and then a phone. They're different size screens. And, um, and sometimes the way that agencies take shortcuts to make the information look good on all different screens end up not really translating well. Um, and sometimes it doesn't even translate. I've had websites on my phone where you need to like scroll all the way to the left or to the right. So, <laughs> so they can, uh, you can actually read the information and they're just not, one of the agencies I'm working with right now, their website hasn't been touched in like over a decade. So it's still an HTML. Um, it's, yeah, it's pretty bad. And <laughs> that's one of the projects that's almost finished there, but, um, yeah, stuff like that will make it difficult to change on the different platforms. One other thing to add to that, using different interactive or different um, interfaces on, on websites, is when you, specifically older adults are on um, touchscreen devices, touchscreens use a little bit of electroconnectivity. Right. There's just a little bit of current going through our hands and stuff. And as we get older, sometimes that decreases, could be increased calluses, decreased blood flow to our appendages. It could be lots of different things, but that makes it very hard. I'm sure you've seen people 
like try to press the screen harder. <laughs> and that doesn't work on our touch screens, unfortunately. Um, and then, yeah. <laughs> and then as Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> I'm not a biologist, so I don't know about all like all of the things that cause that to happen. I just know we have we that's how touch screens work. Some screens um, I was working with a senior community center and they got a touch screen for people to check in and check out um, when using their services. And that one actually is a pressure thing and not an electric connectivity thing. Um, and so that was a really smart move on their part. Mm hmm. I think most of the time people just didn't want to admit that they didn't know how to do something. Um, some of the some of the older adults, when I did one-on-one -on -one work, um, well, I did classes and then I did one-on-one -on -one and they did not want to sign up for a class because they didn't want to look dumb in front of everybody else. They didn't want to look like they're one of those old people who have a hard time with technology. They wanted to just work one-on-one -on -one um, that was where their comfort was. And then that's harder for some agencies to do, right? Especially in nonprofits where they're smaller staff, they're underfunded, under-resourced, and then you're trying to rely more on volunteers, which is a great move, but also come with its own challenges um, in, in showing up and um, how they've been trained to, to communicate and to you know, edify people and things like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely I've seen that fear and like, what if I press the wrong thing and may it, maybe it's not going to blow up? Um, hopefully not, but I'm, I could lose all of my pictures. I could, you know, lose all of my contacts and that, that risk, um, because you don't know how the device work, that risk is real and it does keep you from, from trying some of that new stuff. Um, that's a great question. Um, so the one-on-one -on -one things work really well. Um, and I, 
I like when agencies find a way to do one-on-one technology support or technology training. I don't know. These agencies come up with really clever names for their programs, but um, I think that is is like one of the best because not only are you are you helping someone learn or if you're the older adult, not only do you get the opportunity to learn something that you've really been interested in and wanting to learn, like there's something about that that's, you know, just so good for your sense of self and confidence and engagement in the world. Um, but there's this extra social interaction and relationship building, understanding another person and the exercise of like empathy and all of that. Um, personally, one of my favorite one-on-one programs are when they do um, younger people and older people. Um, if you, if if your agency is working more with like fifties to seventies, it's um, it works well with um, the youngers, youngers um, to to kind of find ways to like, oh, and how do I watch YouTube and like how do I do this thing and they. The younger um, youth really like get excited in a whole new way, and and it just you know from an ageist perspective also really helps with dismantling any ageism that could be taught at a young age. Um, and then for the older old, uh, they really need somebody who will slow down and like be aware outside of themselves. And so we tend to look more at high school students for this, um, college students for this. Uh, those are my favorite blends of intergenerational stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Almost definitely. There's so many things. I should like write them all down in a list. So I remember to say all of these. Um, (laughs) There's so many things. So in, I mentioned earlier, this person-centered approach where you're really thinking about an individual and what their needs are, what their interests are, exposure, et cetera. Um, If you blow that up a little bit, like expand that up a bit, Um, In design world, whether it's architecture or digital stuff, they talk about human-centered design or universal design. And the, the key there is to think about the people who have the most trouble accessing or using the thing. And if you can design an airplane, a bus, if you can design a website to be accommodating to the people who are going to struggle the most, then everybody is going to be able to use it or the vast majority. Some may still need some additional accommodations, right? But the vast majority are now going to be able to use this in a way that they weren't able to do that before. So I really push if uh, people are in, in, in the tech space and if they're in, you know, the design space to, to do their homework on universal design and, and think about older adults. Um, another thing I encourage 
that that world to do is to get to know people different from them, people who use the technology different from them. Where this is just like an innate human thing where we create and we do out of our own experience and how we have gone through something. Even like when um, I give my husband a back rub, I think about like where it feels good on my back and that's what I try to do for him. That may not be what's good for him and he'll tell me, but um, it's it's thinking about outside of yourself, really thinking about the other person in a different way. And it kind of leads you back to being able to design in a universal way. The third thing um, is to have older adults actually test it. Um, so a lot of these tech companies are required to do alpha testing, beta testing, et cetera. It's kind of designed to be this iterative process. And a lot of people like to just jump to the end. Um, they'll just jump to the end and they'll kind of skip some, some major user groups, um, including older adults. And so it's highly recommended to have a, a set of users like older adults or even people with disabilities um, to have them be part of those groups in a really intentional way early on in the process. So you can identify that and then adapt. If you're wait till the end to get their input, now you have to revamp everything and it's a lot more work. Again, universal design says that if you can do it that way from the beginning, then it's a lot cheaper for you as an agency, a company to be really intentional. Think about sidewalks. If they made sidewalks bigger and had all of those um, little bumps on the crosswalks for people with um, canes who are, who are blind or sight impaired, if we had just made them all that way to begin with, we wouldn't have to keep ripping out sidewalks and spending money on concrete and, you know, taking up, making people take different ways. If you can do it the right way, an inclusive way from the beginning, you're going to save a lot of time, money, and hassle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and to just take it up a level too for the companies to have a process, a required process to include those user groups and also for the companies to employ older adult developers. Um, there are older adults who know how to do some of the design who can, there's two older adults that I follow who have like the most stuff on the internet about this. Um, I'll pull up their names for you because I, I might botch them if I just try to do it from memory. But um, they are both older adults. They worked for Apple for a long time. They've consulted on so many different things around the world. Um, there are people like them and they should be employed at these agencies, not just Gen Zers or even millennials right out of um, universities and stuff. Um, I'm trying to think. There are 
Um, you know, if you just want to use your technology better, there are a lot of accessibility settings in your devices, all of your devices that can adjust screen size, color, contrast. Um, if you, you know, macular degeneration is the thing that you're struggling with, there are ways that you can adapt your device to suit your needs. You don't have to deal with it the way that it is. Um, and for the most part, when I'm working with people on their devices, and this would be a, a big takeaway that I have for your older listeners is, is that it's not, you're not the dummy. The designer was the dummy. They did not think about you when they made this. And so it is not your fault that it is hard, difficult, that it's too touchy or not touchy enough. Um, It is not your fat fingers. It's not your tremors. It's the designers who did it that way. Yeah, thank you for having me, Don.